Hello and welcome to Female Leaders with Courage podcast episode two of series two. I hope everyone's doing okay and surviving the challenging times we are in at the moment. So series one gave us a platform to hear about some incredible women and telling their brave stories and I wanted series two to be equally inspiring but really focusing on hope and guidance and the next step and tips and tricks along the way and some thoughts and so we've got some really great women joining us over the next few podcasts who all achieved amazing things but also give back to women like us and today I have got a real treat because I'm joined by Naomi Sesse, who is a keynote speaker and inspirational champion for diversity. And I think this current moment of rebirth for the black community and also for women, and as you know, I champion all kinds of causes that really try to reduce inequalities and promote diversity and inclusion. And so I am absolutely sitting, waiting for this moment to happen to to talk to Naomi and get that perspective so what a great timely moment and I have Naomi here so hello a very big warm welcome Naomi. Thank you Emma thank you very much good morning. So I always think it's best if you introduce yourself because I think you can tell that story so much greater than I can so can you introduce yourself and just tell the listeners a bit about what what you do. Right yes a pleasure so as Emma said my name is Naomi Sesse I am a keynote speaker and I'm also a wealth creator. And I speak on very huge topics, one which is all about quantum science and human potential and consciousness, and the other is about wealth creation and how to actually create the life that you really want to live by understanding the systems and understanding the know-how of creating wealth, because anybody can create wealth. It's just actually knowing how to do it. I'm also a consultant, I'm a mum, I'm an author, I used to be a TV producer, director, I'm a property investor, it list goes on. <laughs> you are one busy lady. I am. <laughs> well, look, thank you so much for the gift of your time. And I'm sure that there's so many roles in there that we can all relate to. So why don't we just pick them off one by one? So, so in terms of our listeners, we've started up, uh, or I started up this podcast a couple of months ago. I've been supporting women for a long time and just sort of campaigning and doing my own thing. And I just thought, actually, I'm going to set up a podcast and I'm just going to try and support women to just feel better about themselves and that they're not alone. Because as I've untapped into this sort of female leaders and why there's such an imbalance, and I think this is across all diversity, actually, is that the reason that people are just not necessarily coming forward is, yes, there's an opportunity issue, which I think there's a real focus on that at the moment across all elements of of the diversity challenge, you know, women, ethnics, and with disabilities as well. But I think there's a lot of voices inside all of us that I think we can sort of almost unpick and rewire because if we, you know, the opportunities then we still don't go forward for it, but sort of having that confidence and self-confidence and self-belief. And I know you do quite a lot of work with this. So tell us a little bit about sort of what you do and how you start and then um, we can explore that a bit more. Yeah. I think that one of the things that women go through is a lack of confidence. And it's, it starts with our schooling, actually. It starts with what we are taught subliminally about how we should live our lives. And when we go to school, we're taught to work for somebody else, for example. We're taught to be an employee. We're taught to get a just over broke job. We're taught to actually look into magazines and be the prettiest, have the great body, have this, have that. But we're not taught the really important things about how do you make money? How do you get that job that is two sizes bigger than yourself so that you actually grow into it as a potential? How do you become the best parent that you can ever be? All the intangible stuff. And so what it does, it impacts our emotional needs and it makes us feel that we're not good enough or we have this imposter syndrome, or somebody's going to say something about what we do or what we say, because we're told to kind of like dumb ourselves down, be the person that somebody else wants you to be. And this is a a schooling that we have through, through all systems, not just in schools, but in our churches, in our societies, our parents. And, you know, so a lot of women feel that they can't push through those barriers, especially if they're to do with something with money or to do with science or to do with law or to do with something that is perceived to be 
male dominated. And so in my life, what I was taught when I was um, younger by my mother was be that leader, walk the path that no one else walks and make sure you do it well, because you'll look back and you'll find that other people are following you. So I've always carried that in my head. And it's not about kind of like being, ah, you know, assertive and get aggressive and be like a man. It's about knowing who you are, what you want, where you're going and how you're going to get it. That's such an important point. I cover that actually when uh, the first podcast, when I set it up, because I think women, I almost feel that they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't, because you're right, you know, it's, it is about having your authenticity and being you, not what somebody else wants. And mm. I know that I've suffered from being either too nice and a people pleaser for leadership, management roles, or actually you're too assertive and feisty. And you kind of think, well, mm. <laughs> I'm just me. I'm just me. You know, I had a incident when I was in my, about two jobs ago, when I was working in charity. And I was working in charity because I wanted to have the experience. So I've been in the corporate world. I've been in the media. I wanted to have the experience of working there. And I never scream, shout, or, or let off steam or, or rude to people. So people always see me as an amiable type of person. But I always say, I have different aspects to my character. I morph into whatever character needs I need at that particular time. And it was just so happens that this one girl was really testy with me, so much so that she went to the CEO and was telling a lot of porkies, a lot of lies that just weren't true. And I just thought, you know what, I'm not having this. So in front of everybody, I had to call her out. And I showed her this email, which was full of lies, and read it out to her in front of everybody. And she said to me, oh, you know what, shall we go into a meeting room? I said, no, because we go into a meeting room, you're going to come out here and tell everybody the things I didn't say. So I want people to hear what I have said to you right now. She accused me, and now this is a black woman, she accused me of being an aggressive black woman. And I looked at her and said, are you kidding me? I have not raised my voice in the whole four years I've been here. And the moment I do, you feed into a stereotype in order to make me look bad, in order to make me, when I have the right to say what I need to say. And so when you hold your power that way, people suddenly realize that they will revert to all these other stereotypes and defaults in order to put you down again. And a lot of them say, yeah, you're right. Maybe I didn't, I shouldn't have said that. And they'll go back and they'll start self-talking themselves out of their, their confidence or their assertiveness and say, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I should have just gone into the room and been quiet. No, hell no. You know, if somebody's actually challenged you and they challenged you that to the detriment of your career of your, or, or your, the way you, you present yourself in an organization, then you need to just tell them to just back off and just completely or in and authentically call out the, the racism, call out the idea that you are an aggressive whatever woman or you are because they're trying to put you in a box and a lot of women fear doing that it is and I think that you know women don't want to sort of put their head above the parapet because we're not very good at taking you know some of the arrows that can be fired at you you know and for all of those opportunities of going forward you know nine opportunities going forward and one being shot at you we don't go forward and actually you're right there's so much power in women and it's not the power where you know you associate with you know some of the alpha males in society I mean look at you know Donald Trump I mean you know that's the you know the the one of the most powerful roles in in the world and that's not power that I particularly want but power is knowing yourself living your authentic voice isn't it and it is sort of being able to say well it's interesting what you say about stereotypes, because I think there is a huge stereotype for, you know, if you're not a white male, you fit into a stereotype. And, yeah. and I find that incredibly frustrating. You must yeah. the same. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I do at this time in what we're living in with George Floyd. I actually am now, am now doing quite a lot of thought pieces around why is it that we still fall, people still want to propagate this this stereotype and other people still want to fall within this stereotype and if you think about it 
the lie that was told over 400 years that everyone was subordinate and savages and homosexuals were abnormal and, and disabled people should be in circuses and all that crap was a lie, okay? And if you can think about those times, they said half-truths, untruths, and lies because they didn't have information of who we are as human beings, yeah? There was this sense that, we need to get on top of all of this and be pioneers and blah, blah, blah. So they told a lot of crap that in order for them to justify their economies, to justify their treatment of other people, to justify their behavior. Now, that still resonates right now with those stereotypes, with those ideas of color, of females, of, of gender, of disability, of gay people. And, and you ask yourself, why is it still persisting? Despite the fact we have remits and we have strategies for DNI and we have training from conscious bias. Why is it so persistent? Over 400 years ago, those lies were told, but we're still seeing the effects of it now, especially with what's happening in America. Well, the only reason can be that we know as human beings, we have huge amounts of information riding on our biofield. Now, this is where quantum comes in. And that information is information that we download from our collective consciousness. We don't realize we're doing this, but each time you're in your circle of influence, who look like you, who talk like you, who eat like you, who you're entrenching this idea of you and how you view other people. So when you walk out of your house and into a workplace, just because they have a remit of diversity and inclusion does not mean that you will adhere to that because you're your thought processes, your hardwired, your neurological system of information system is hardwired to think the way you think when you're at home. So you bring all your warts and all to work, regardless of the organization's diversity and inclusion remit. And you will behave as what you would behave in your peer group. And it's very difficult to stop that with a remit unless you do some personal development. Now, I've been saying throughout this whole situation that the battle is not about black and white or about necessarily about injustice or the brutality of the police. Those are all symptoms of the cause. And the cause was that lie 400 years ago, which had a certain mindset. Now we've evolved from that mindset. We have more information than we ever could that more than that mindset. And so therefore, the battle is between those who have evolved into a place of higher consciousness and those who have not. Full stop. Because if you look at all the protests right now, those who are protesting feel an innate injustice. And they, they're black, white, red, brown, whatever color in between. They feel an innate injustice of what's happening because they have evolved. Their emotions have evolved. Their consciousness has evolved. The information systems that they use have evolved. And they see a picture of this is not right because we've moved on from 400 years. Those like Donald Trump and who follow his lead have not moved on. They're still stuck in that consciousness. They're still stuck in that mindset. And those people are not just white people. They are black people, brown people, and everything in between. So the battle is between consciousness. Do you see what I mean? I do. It's really fascinating, actually. When you look at you know how behavior is formed, it's formed from a belief system and a value system that feeds a motivation, that feeds a behavior. So actually, whilst, you know, you see social media, everybody's putting their black posts up, you know, you're shutting down social media with, with it. And you kind of think, well, how much of this is you just thinking that you're doing the right thing? And that's your behavior. But as you're posting that, are you then going back and looking at the motivations and the belief systems and the value systems within your organization or around you and the echo chambers that you live in? Because have you gone back in and looked at your your DNI ratios or your female ratios or your disability ratios or your, you know, your LBQT ratios, whatever it is, because actually if you haven't, don't post that, that black picture. And I think that when we look at these people, as we say, you know, the people that follow the Donald Trumps of this world, uh, it's all very behavior based. And I think the introspection of what are my values, what are my beliefs, what are my motivations, and why do I think that? And where's that come from? And can I unpick that? That's where I think we move on. You're right from that lie that there is this subordinate uh, insubordination. 
through the years. Uh, so I find that really fascinating. So I know you've sort of mentioned the quantum science. So for those that don't understand what that is, just tell us a little bit about that. Well, in its purest sense, quantum science is looking at the infinitely small electrons and atoms and how they actually interact and with themselves and informs our world. So we're looking at, I mean, I won't go into it, but we're looking at, you know, string theory and, and the tiny electrons and all these strange things that they do. Now, the reason why it's really important is because we're made up of those things. We're made up of the atoms and the electrons and the energy fields and that these little tiny, little infinitesimally tiny little um, particles are made up of. And if they act strangely in those ways that we can't understand, then we, we too are doing that because we're made up of it. We're not separate from it. So when I take the quantum mechanics and apply it to human development, we see an amazing array of power that is in, within us that we haven't even tapped into. And it blows scientists' minds. It blows my mind. It blows uh, everyone who actually understands it. It's like, goodness, we are far more powerful than what we've been conditioned to believe. And I'll give you an example because we all feel this. Sometimes you're thinking of someone that you haven't seen for ages and you're thinking about them. You think, wow, I wonder what they're up to. And all of a sudden your phone rings and you pick it up and you're like, oh my God, it's them. Now, people would pass that off as a coincidence. But if it happens over and over again above chance, how can it be a coincidence? Because a coincidence by definition is something just happens randomly without any cause or, or rhyme or reasoning. But this is actually more synchronicity. And the reason why is because around our energy field, we have billions and billions and billions of bits of information that are embedded in our field. We're sitting in it right now. Anyone who's listening to this podcast, you're sitting in billions and billions. In fact, they say 400 billion bits of information, which is probably much more. That's, how, that's the amount they can detect right now with all their technology. Now, that information, we're only conscious of only 2,000 bits out of the 400 billion bits. And that's what we see around us. That's our world around us. So we're living in a slice of, of reality. And we call that life. Now, we know that there's billions of bits of information that we cannot see. And the reason why we can't see them is because our world would look so completely different, we wouldn't understand it. So our consciousness takes on information in order to um, make our lives behave the way that we, we see fit. So if I were to think about you, Emma, and tomorrow I would say, I wonder if I could call her. And you felt that. The reason why you felt that is because of what electrons do. Electrons, they are paired. And when somebody is thinking about another person, and if you are magnetized to it, so to speak, you'll feel it. And that feeling will come into an emotion. Your emotion will start to bubble up into different types of chemicals that would be released, like dopamine and serotonin, bubble up into your thought process. Your thought process will suddenly think, hmm, that feels like Naomi thinking about me. And then you'll think, let me ring her. And I'm like, oh my God, I've just been thinking about you. <laughs> so many times I do that. Yeah. And you'll find that if you live with someone or if you're best friend, you have a best friend. And have you had that, that strange tingly feeling when you say exactly the same thing, exactly the same time and you go, Jinx, we said exactly. Well, it's because you guys are literally sharing information, sharing thought patterns, sharing strategies. And they always say that you're only as good as the best person in your peer group. And that is true because you're all in your peer group. You're all sharing ideas, sharing strategies, sharing thoughts, sharing behavioral patterns. And so if we go back and think about DNI and we think about our concentric circles and who we're with. So you just said earlier on, if you're putting out these kind of like black markers and blackout Tuesday or whatever it is, and then you come home and you just think, okay, I did my bit. And then you go back into your little circle and you're still thinking exactly the same way. Well, it's because you haven't thought about why don't I change the way I behave? Because if I do, the people around me will probably change the way they behave. The thoughts will probably change. And then we can now move on to thinking something different about ourselves and about other people in front of us. 
So you're right. That is so important to come back and internalize the information you get from out there. So what we see was George Floyd. What does it mean to you? Nothing in life has any meaning but the meaning you give it. And if you take the information, say, yes, being forceful in the way that we reject racism, reject brutality, reject the system, what does that mean for me right now? So how do I behave and act that is congruent with what I say, feel and do? And we have to keep on doing that loop. It's like a biofeedback until neurologically it becomes a habit. And when it becomes a habit, you'll see that you're completely different now than you were three weeks ago. And so how could somebody do that? So a lot of uh, people, uh, women particularly that I speak to, along the way said, well, I just knew it wasn't right, but I just didn't want to cause a fuss. And I just, I didn't know if it was just me making a drop. Because again, it's that stereotype. Oh, it's just a woman raising a voice. She's been melodramatic. You know, she's been dramatic about it all. Or oh, she's just got really high anxiety. How do we, as women, call out these injustices when we know that they're wrong, but we're just a little bit frightened to do it? So you're gonna, first, you're going to examine why you're frightened. What is it that's making you feel uncomfortable? What is the anxiety behind that? What is the fear? And tackle that. Because if that's what's the limiting factor that's stopping you, you'll always get stopped. So again, it is an internal piece and it's a personal internal piece. Why do I feel anxiety of actually calling this out? And it's, sometimes it's quite hard because you can't see yourself because you're in yourself. So if you were to t- ask people or to go back into your past, and examine how you were treated or how you treated others when you were younger, or how did people, what did people say to you? What was your grouping around you? Because from the age of zero to seven, we absorb the most amount of information that we ever would in our lives, the most amount. And it's at that age that they say, that's why they say, show me a child when they're seven and I will show you the man or the woman because we absorb so much information. That informs you, all the information that you got between zero and seven informs you as a foundation of how you act in your adult age. When you come to push or shove or some kind of adversity, you'll revert to that default of how you dealt with adversity at seven. So you've got to really look at yourself. Why do I fear speaking up? Did someone kind of like shut me down when I was younger? Why do I fear putting myself out there? Did someone tell me that I was too dot, 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 dot? And examine that. Once you've examined that and you've located what that is, then what you must do is practice it. Because with practice come perfect. The next time somebody like, say, your, your boyfriend or your friend starts to challenge you, remember, right now I need to do some personal development with myself and I'm going to push back and I'm going to say my piece you're not going to die. (laughs) You're actually going to feel liberated that you said no. So even if someone says, do you want to come to the cinema? Well, not now in the cinema. Do you want to go to the park? Do you want to leave your house? (laughs) Would you like to leave your house with me? (laughs) Or would you like to FaceTime tonight? (laughs) Would you like to FaceTime? Exactly. Would you like to FaceTime tonight? And you just think, oh, if I don't say yes, they're going to think I'm such a wuss and I'm not a good friend, blah, blah, blah. But you really don't want to because you want to watch Netflix, yeah? And it's exactly the same time that your program is going to start on BBC or whatever. And they say, please do it, do it. And they're used to actually bullying you into doing something you don't want. Just practice saying no. And don't say anything else. And if they say, why not? Because I'm watching Netflix. Don't say anything else. And if they say, oh, come on. I say, no, I said no. I'll call you back when I'm done. That's it. I had Lisa uh, uh, on last week and she was talking about people pleasing. The whole the whole subject about people pleasing, exactly the same conversation that you've just had. It's It's fascinating because... Rather than saying no, we, we come up with these excuses of, oh, well, I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I've got to do that. And you talk yourself out of it, don't you? And <laughs> it's like, stop apologizing. In fact, there's a book that somebody's written. I can't remember the lady's name. Stop apologizing. Woman, stop apologizing, it's called, yeah. isn't it? Stop apologizing. And the reason why we apologize, because we were conditioned to be subordinate or we were conditioned to be nice little girls or we were conditioned to be kind. or we All of those things still happen. But when you find your voice and say no, you become 
bigger than yourself. You become the woman that you should be. It's an amazing feeling, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I think also, there's, I mean, I, I started to get mine uh, in sort of probably about a couple of years ago where I just thought, you know what, this is my voice and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak from it. And it took me a long time, but I think there's also a little bit of midlife, don't really give a shit anymore. <laughs> you know what? That's such a lovely feeling. The, the moment you pass 40 is just like, I'll do whatever I like, when I like, how I like, because no one can tell me anything because I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit about what people think of me. If you don't like it, go, go, go be somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a bit like that. And I guess that's why when we get older, we hear these stories, don't we? That, you know, your friendships get deeper and the numbers get smaller. But I think that yes. you do become more selective with what, you know, your tolerance and what's around you and, and what gives you your energy and what zaps your energy. And, and Absolutely. Yeah, it is, I mean, end of last year, I did a decluttering of my friends. I just thought, I don't need this. You know, there are some people who are so needy and I just thought, I can't. You know, it was just, I, I have to really preserve my mental health. I have to preserve my energy. I have to preserve my focus. And if you're going to come to me saying, my boyfriend, this and that, and I, and you, you, every time I talk to you, you keep talking about the same thing over and over again. I don't need that. So I just cleared up my whole of my, my contact list and, and people now coming back to me and I'm just like, no, I, I really need to concentrate on me. Yeah. And it's a good skill to have. And I think also, I know you, uh, you've written articles on this, on adversity. I think adversity changes you and gives you uh, more power to almost get through more. And then it's, you sort of collect these power points as you go, mm. the more adversity you've got that actually you get to a point where you go, actually, if I've got through that, I can say no to you because yes. it didn't kill me before when I you know, did something else that was more brave. So tell us about some of the bits that you've done with adversity. Well, adversity is an amazing thing. It's a teacher. And not that everybody wants to go through adversity because some of it's pretty horrific and horrible. But if you're able to have the tools to manage your emotions, to get through the event, you've learned something and you've changed. It's like a protagonist, you know, in a, in a classic storyline, you meet your the baddie, you battle with the baddie, and then the baddie beats you. You go through this self kind of reflection of yourself and who you are and what you you do you have another big battle with the baddie and this time you beat the baddie and then you have a resolution you've changed at that point you're not the same person who started the journey before you met the baddie see what I mean and that's the classic story we go through those stories every single day of our lives even if it's just navigating the bloody tube stations and somebody pushes you <laughs> So it's like where um, adversity, no matter how big or how small, teaches you how you manage your emotions. And if you get it right, your neurology, your nervous system actually rewires how you behave in that moment. In the moment of impact of that diversity, your neurology rewires how you behave. And if you keep doing it again and again and again, it becomes a habit. So you get used to battling adversity. And the only thing you could do now after that is making it powerful, making it graceful, making it non-confrontational, making it compassionate, making it empathy. So when you walk in a room, you're so full of information that you got yourself through adversity that you're kind of like, you have this substance to you. And you can walk into a room and someone says, that person has gone through a lot, but I want to be next to them because I feel safe. Because you feel safe. You feel safe within yourself that you know how to battle any incident. Now, the problem is, is that people who live wonderful, soft lives that they don't actually go through adversity, unfortunately for them, they don't learn anything much other than that. So they don't learn how to negotiate. They don't learn the skills of conflict resolution. They don't learn the skills of all the other skills that other people who've gone through hard times have. It's not good or bad. It's just evolvement. And people have their own pace of evolvement, of learning, of their own curve. So adversity is a teacher, just like failing is a teacher. And I would rather fail 50 million times and get it right and not fail at all. Because in those impacts of feeling, oh my God, I, I, how did I not get this right? I'm learning something. 
I'm learning how to do it right the next time. And I'm learning it again, how to do it better. And I'm learning it again, how to polish it off. So I'm now different to how I was if I didn't fail at all. Do you see what I mean? So adversity is a teacher. And we mustn't be scared of it. So even if you come back to your friend or you say to your boss, hell no, I need to have time off because I've worked for you for 12 hours last week and you took that time. I want that time back. Even confronting that, that you need that back for yourself, for your mental health or to reserve your energy. Going through that impact with somebody is going to teach you a whole lot about yourself. And that's powerful. Yeah. And I think also it's it's worth remembering that, you know, avoidance actually causes more adversity because mm. it all sort of stacks up, doesn't it? And I, I, I know myself, you know, you kind of just go, oh, I'm just going to not have that conversation today. Oh, I'm not going to have that conversation again tomorrow. Oh, yeah, I'll just, I'll just, you know, sweep it under the carpet. And then suddenly this big sort of monster comes and hits you and you think, oh, God, if I'd have just dealt with it in the first place. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we cheat ourselves of learning experiences when we deny ourselves the opportunity to face something head on. So when we say to ourselves, I can't deal with that, sometimes it's, it's a good thing to do that. You feel it because you're protecting yourself, you're protecting your mental health, you're protecting whatever it is you feel to protect. But when you're procrastinating and you know you're procrastinating, when you know that you should do it, but something's holding you back, check it. Find out what it is that's holding you back. It's like going back to that conversation of, having difficult conversations of support. You, you don't know how to do it. You don't know how to go out and support the Black Lives Matter because you're white and female and you don't feel what they feel, but you still understand it intellectually. Check why you are feeling that. And if you want to grow, step out of that comfort zone and go out there and say, if someone ne next time in your peer group says, oh, this is all kind of like, you know, huff and puff and actually at the end of the day this is all going to blow over and it's just a fad feel your voice and call it out and see what that feels like to you if it feels absolutely terrifying go back to square one and check why do you feel so terrified what is it about you that has made you feel so terrified if it feels liberating then you've won and my grandma used to say to me you know, if you, it's broad Yorkshire, if you can put your head down on a pillow at night and know you've done right thing, then you'll be grand. <laughs> so I'll, be, exactly. I'll interpret that for anyone that can't speak Yorkshire. She, <laughs> she always used to say, if you can put your head down on a pillow at the end of the night and know that you've done the right thing, then you'll be fine. Yeah. It's when you put your head on the pillow and think, you know, you ruminate on the day and just go, oh, shouldn't have done that, should have done this, should have done that. You know, it just it's just doing what is the right thing. Exactly. And you know what, what, you're, what she said was so, what she alludes to is peace. If you can put your head down and feel peace with yourself, that is where you should be. And if you, like you were just saying just now, that if you're ruminating and you can't sleep and you, it's going through your head and it's keeping you up, then something is not right. And you could go, go back and check it. Now, one of my purposes, which I always say to women, you know, Find your purpose. It sometimes is difficult to understand what your purpose is, but it's really an emotional thing. And then you can articulate it in, into words. And my purpose in life is to raise the consciousness of humanity in order to create global peace. Now, my son said to me, that's so freaking big, mum. How are you going to do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, if nobody can, you know, nobody, someone's got to do it. When I say to create global peace, I mean that every single person on this earth sees the world differently to everybody else. So in a sense, your world is different to anybody else's world because my perspective and your perspective, even if we're seeing the same thing, are two completely different things because of the emotions that, or the meaning that I put to that. Now, if I can raise your consciousness to a level where you see things in a way that gives you peace and you suddenly get that aha moment that you go, oh my God, I get it then in that moment, I've created peace in your world. And so therefore, I have raised the consciousness of humanity in order to create global peace. And if you can go out and do that to other people, well, then my work is being done for me anyway. I think that's so profound, but actually it's, it's so true. I think it is. It's about 
having the voice, doing the right thing. And the other thing as well, that I don't know what you think about this, is that, you know, we we live in these echo chambers where we, you said it earlier, actually, we want to be surrounded by people like me. You're like me. You can be my friend. Oh, there's just something about you that I like, mm, probably because you're like me. Mm, I'm not sure I like you. Abraham Lincoln once said, I don't like that man. I need to get to know him better. And isn't that the most profound, wonderful thing? And I think that actually we're all guilty of it, but we need to be around people that are not like us to really be more empowered and global thinking and you know everybody is different and there is no one story and the more you can surround yourself with different people you get to understand a bit more what do you think do you you agree with that absolutely spot on and the reason why I the meaning that shows me is that when you push towards understanding somebody else you get an experience of that person Getting an experience of that person, as I alluded to earlier, you're absorbing information from what that person is giving out. When you absorb information from somebody who's different from you, different thoughts, different mindsets, different ideas, then you actually take that internally and you start to bubble it up and figure it out, how does that feel to me? And if you like it and you start to actually create some kind of meaning for it through it, That means that you see this person in front of you who you hated one week ago, you see them completely differently because they've changed you because of the experience you've had of them. And that means you've grown. And that means that all of us can actually see each other for who we are in the intangible sense of what it means to be a human being, not the outward sense of the color or the or the um, the ethnicity or the orientation or the gender but the true value of what it is to be a human being. Another thing is that our language also needs to change because our language is explosive and can be very detrimental to our mental health and our growth. So if we think about the word race and we say that there's the the white race, the black race, but there's no such thing as races. Scientifically, we are all the same race. There's no such thing as the black race. So when you think of the word racism, or even anti-racist, it's a nonsense. Because if you're saying anti-racist, you're saying (laughs) anti-human, because there's only one race. So we've got to change our language, because we are saying that race, we think that race is the black race, the white race, the Chinese race. It's it's, It's just not true. It's a lie. Go and look it up. There's only one race, and it's the human race. A race, in scientific terms, A race is something that is so different from another species that if they were to mate together, the offspring would be unviable. Now, every single color on this earth can mate with each other and have viable children. That makes us one race. And yet we're kinder to the other race of animals than we are to each other as humans. Yes. So isn't that strange? You know, I love my dog more than I love you, you know, and you kind of think, hang on a second. Yeah, I mean, it is. You could get really profound with this stuff. (laughs) Yeah, you could. (laughs) Do you know what? I could could chat about this, as you can tell, and this is why I did my podcast um, about this all day. I mean, I find it fascinating, and everybody's got their own perspective on on all of this. I'm conscious of time, and I'm also conscious that I really want to explore with you this wealth creation program Mm. that you've developed as well, which you alluded to when you introduced yourself. Tell us more about what this is, because I think everybody wants to know, how can I create more wealth? Yes. Okay. So 10 years ago, I created something called the Billionaire Ladies Club, because I became financially free, and I became wealthy when I was at the, a point in my life where I couldn't stand working for somebody else. I hated it. I was working for Channel 4 and I just thought, I'm not doing this anymore because it's like they're taking, I'm trading my time for money. And I wanted to actually have money to go and do the things I really wanted to do. And so I learned about property, became a property investor, long story short, became financially free, then started two companies created a huge amount of wealth by doing what I'm doing now in terms of personal development, quantum physics, blah, 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 blah. And then I got to Billionaire Ladies Club 10 years ago. 
And Billionaire Ladies Club was a club where I wanted to, because when I was doing the wealth creation property, I had a lot of women asking me, could I mentor them? And I said, no, 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 you can go to that guy. You can go to this guy. And they said, no, I want to go to you. So I understood that I had a responsibility to teach women to do the things that I did, which got me financially free. So I created the Billionaire Ladies Club. And it was about a step-by-step process of what you needed to do in order to create wealth. Now, the very first process was your mindset. What did you feel about money? Now, we have this awful, awful way of teaching our children about finance. We're so financially illiterate, we don't even understand compound interest. And so, therefore, it was really important to me to get your mindset right, not only the technical things of wealth creation, but what did you feel about money? Do you feel, do you buy into that, that idiom of money is the root of all evil? If you do, you're not going to create wealth. <laughs> if you buy into only the rich people are powerful and they prey upon us poor people, well, you're thinking that you're poor, you're not going to create wealth. So we work on these, these things that we have been conditioned to believe about ourselves Uh, and about money. Now, money is a vehicle to do amazing things. I've built a school in Sierra Leone for young children who didn't have a school before. That's because of money. And so the Billionaire Ladies Club was a step-by-step 12-month program where women had to go through the steps in order for them to create, whether it was property or whether it was an online business or even a a physical business, anything that they were passionate about. Now, rolling on to this year, I, I stopped Billionaire Ladies Club about, let me see, 20, 2012 to eight. No, no, no. So then I did it for eight years. So I stopped it around about, I don't know, four years ago because I felt I couldn't do it anymore on my own. I just couldn't. There was too many women to mentor. So it did my head in because women sometimes will tell you about everything from conception to birth, you know, and I'm just like, no, I, I can't do this anymore. So I stopped it. And then in this period right now, I suddenly realized there is another way that I can do this without having the touch points. I can put it all online and I can create it so that I am tutoring women online through webinars or through live and not having to be in the physical presence of women because we can't be because of COVID, but I can give you all the systems, all the information, all the places where you can go, all the things that you can do in order to create online wealth. Now, here's the key. In order to become wealthy, you need to have passive income, which is income that you don't trade your time for, income coming from business, coming from property, coming from land or coming from bonds or shares or trading, passive income exceeding your outgoing expenses. Once your passive income surpasses your outgoing expenses without you having to physically go and work, you're technically financially free. Okay. Now that's a hard concept to grasp when you're actually working because you're thinking, how do I get passive income? very easy. You have got talents, you've got skills, you've got experience, you've got passion, you've got drive. Those ingredients can actually create a product, an online product, whether it's a course, whether it's, and I think that courses are probably now in this time, people want to know what you do in order to make themselves successful as you. If you're able to package that right, there are lots of people out there who want that information. You only have to create that information once, but you can sell it again and again and again whilst you sleep. That's passive income. So the money goes ching, 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 into your bank account and you're on holiday or you're asleep or you're taking the children out. It's so important for women to understand their own wealth creation so they don't have to rely on anybody else. Now, throughout this whole of this COVID period, when everyone's been furloughed and everyone's been kind of like going on to unemployment benefit or whatever, I haven't had to do anything financially because I'm financially free. My money comes in from my properties. My money comes in from my stocks and shares. My money comes in from the online businesses that I have. My money comes in now from all the speaking engagements, which I thought had gone away because of COVID, but actually they went online. So 
every single woman can become financially free. And it's not the domain of men, even though it looks like it. This isn't a female economy. Females make more decisions and purchases in the household than men. 80% of all the decisions of purchases are women. We have the power to create economies, trillions and trillions and trillions of pounds of money. And all you have to do is use your talent, your experience, your expertise, and your skill. So that's what I do with Swipe Wealth. Swipe Wealth is going to be launched in November. It's going to have loads of systems. All you need to do is plug in your, your drive, your experience, your talent, your expertise, and away you go. You'll start to create passive income because people will start to buy your courses, buy your product, buy your services. And um, as long as you keep on doing it and keep on doing a system, which is like a cookie cutter, soon you'll find that money will keep coming in. It will probably be um, able to complement your, your work that you're doing right now. Then all of that money will be able to pay out for your gas bills, your electricity bills, your water bills, whatever your outgoings are, your council tax. And once that's done, you don't actually have to work for your just over broke job. <laughs> you'll be able to get your, your passive income coming. And the perfect thing is you'll have all your time back to do what you really want to do in your life. And how would somebody identify what their talent or skill is? And do you well, sort of have to be at a certain age to do that? Or can anybody no, do that? Anybody. My daughter's doing that. Um, I'll tell you what my daughter's doing in a minute. You identify with it with what you absolutely love doing. You can do it a job of the hat. And you would say, yeah, no problem. I can do that for you. Most women do a lot of stuff for free. So, okay, I'll do your nails for free because I'm a nail technician and I'll do your... Don't do that. Charge. Or better still, show somebody else how to do that. Better still, show somebody else how to do that online. So you've created a product and people who want to know how to do nail technicians like you do it will buy that product and it could be anywhere all over the world and you can do it. You don't have to produce that once and people will buy it again and again and again as long as you market it and as long as you market your, your stuff. And create systems to actually give that information out in all sorts of different ways. So understanding what you're good at and what your skills are is understanding what you really love doing. And what ask people, say, what do you think I'm really good at? Not what they think that you're okay at, what you're banging at, what you're really, really good at. And you should feel it. And if you feel, yeah, I'm really, really good at doing hair. I'm really, really good at doing spreadsheets. I'm really, really good at creating a process in the system of how to manage your day. I'm really, really good at bringing up children. Any of that information is information that somebody out there is going to want and need. That's great. Already I'm thinking, yeah, somebody set up how to do spreadsheets, I'm in. Because that's, that's <laughs> the one thing I hate. Don't yes. ever give me a spreadsheet. So yeah, if somebody want, if someone listening wants to set up a business on spreadsheets, go to Naomi and then come back to me. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> exactly. There's so many things that women can learn from. And the one thing about Swipe Wealth is that I'm trying to, um, I'm going to be creating a, um, it's, not, it's a community. And it's a community of not just women, men as well, a community of people who have the passion to create community wealth. So the first step is to create your own personal wealth. As the moment you, your passive income exceeds your outgoing, then we go into another system where it's community wealth. Now, right now, in the next couple of years, you're going to find there's lots of empty buildings. How about as a community, we go and invest in that building and turn it into a youth center or a community center where there's a hub for working and coffee and playing and, and relaxation, but we own that building. How about if we actually started to compound that wealth and buy another one, do we do it again? And that area that you have suddenly becomes wealthy because you're not only giving people a chance to breathe and to have leisure and, we, we, you know, to actually live their lives, but you're also creating wealth that can be dived back into that community. So we're now starting to create a microeconomy within our communities. And I think that is the way that a lot of people are going to not only create wealth, but live the lives that they really want to live within their community instead of not knowing who who's next door yeah and it's sharing that wealth and sharing those talents as well where actually the systems and the sort of economy that we've been in recently you know that real 
capitalistic sort of economy is this is my wealth and I'll just grow it for me it's it's I think you're right we're starting to especially with COVID it really accelerated it and build communities yeah. around us and and I think that you know it, I think that's a really nice model to go forward actually I, I like yeah that. Uh, we're, if you think about it the top eight billionaires in the UK got swiped off that list and the rich yeah. list so therefore it means that we are undergoing right now the biggest wealth transfer ever in our lifetimes, even bigger than 2008. So if, we're, if that money now is kind of like wiped off from the, and the I mean, Dyson is number one, number one, number two or something. Dyson, he never was before. So that means that there's wealth swirling around. And I reckon that we as a community have the accountability and the responsibility to distribute that wealth in our communities so that we can all live better. And so if your community, if you want to choose a community that says, you know, there are lots of people in this area who are below the poverty line, they have children who are not eating, and you want to create a community wealth system there, then you call on, on the community wealth creators, which Swipe Wealth will create, and we will all go into that area together and build the wealth of that community together. Yeah, that's that's such a lovely note to leave on. Naomi, I've just loved talking to you. I could talk to you for hours. I could talk to you for hours um, too. <laughs> I know. Oh, like, do you know what? I almost feel like our whole purposes are quite similar. It's been just fabulous talking to you. I definitely want to talk to you again. And actually, when uh, when Swipe Wealth comes comes live, let's chat again in November and, and share that with people. Definitely. Um, because I think if we can start to liberate those people that uh, are really in need of that liberation, whatever that might be from subordination or just a point in life where you know enough is enough whatever it is and then you know let's 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 get them liberated absolutely Um, so thank you so much for your time it has just been it's flown absolutely flown and uh yeah the gift of your time is you know it's something that i fully appreciate so thank you and to anybody that has been listening today and has really enjoyed hearing from Naomi then I'll, I'll put Naomi's uh, web address in the bottom and you can follow and, and I really would suggest that you do visit the website because there's some real rich insights and information you can learn more until then uh, we're back again next week but in the meantime stay well and stay brave